0: Oh, hey everybody and welcome back to Theology Thursday. Doug, it's good to be with you again, man. How you doing?
1: Uh we're doing all right.
0: Yeah. We're yeah, we got
1: four. There. Yeah, well, we got four kids here. So three of whom are doing school and one of whom is distracting the other three. So my wife is uh basically um a saint, uh in every sense of the word.
0: Yeah, God bless you guys, man. <laughs> No kids yet. My wife and I are just enjoying the time together. But um, So Doug, for uh, this week for Theology Thursday, last week we, um, we had quite a big topic. And so we kind of ad hoc decided to split it into two parts. And so uh, the first week we're talking a little bit about the idea of, of, of can a, a Christian lose their salvation? And what we wanted to get to, I'll, I'll allow you to recap us here in a second, Doug. But essentially what we wanted to get to is, uh, this question, well, you know, at the end of the conversation, what happens if somebody kind of falls away from their faith? You know what I mean? And and particularly a couple of these passages that we see in Scripture that seem to, you know, make some other arguments. So um, you want to give us a quick recap, Doug, of what we covered last week, and then we can jump into uh, into this one.
1: Sure. So last week, essentially, um, I tried to build the biblical case that, um, you know, why we think that salvation is eternally secure for those who are truly saved. So just kind of, and some of these points will overlap a little bit. So there's not a neat division between them, but um, a couple things uh, things that, that, a couple of reasons why we say this. Um, so first off, we talked about the nature of eternal life, that it is in fact e- eternal, that it is the work of the spirit of God. It's something that God does in us, which doesn't mean that we play no role whatsoever, But being born again, clearly according to Jesus in John chapter 3, is the work of the Spirit of God. Um, We have explicit statements by Jesus to the effect, for example, that no one can snatch us out of his hand or the Father's hand. Um, He says in John 6 that the will of the Father is that he should lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. Um, And of course, we might want to add Paul's uh, words that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, We talked about the the sealing guarantee of the Holy Spirit, which Paul mentions in Ephesians 1 and in uh, 2 Corinthians um, as well. And uh, and then um, uh, some of Paul's confident prayers that it is the Lord who will sustain us. We talked about how, biblically speaking, salvation is viewed as the work of God in the human heart. Uh, such that all who are predestined are called, all who are called are justified, and all who are justified are glorified um, without any slippage there and Finally, we talked about how um, a lot of this implies that one 's view of eternal security that is whether uh, or not somebody can actually lose their salvation, someone who truly had it uh, that one 's view of that it tends to be tends to depend on one's view of salvation as a whole, how much we view it as something that God does, how much we view it as something that we do. And then finally, we had um, one thing that, uh, that I've found helpful with this discussion that we brought in last week, is this idea that by definition, the kind of faith that saves is the kind of faith that perseveres.
0: So was a, that was a point that really hit home yeah. for me last week. I, I never really thought about that before, but I, I thought that and it's, I know it connected with a lot of folks that kind of tuned in last week as well, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that that is uh, um, you know, because there are definitely different grades of belief in the Bible, right? There, there's uh, there, there are people whose belief is very shallow and does kind of fade away. Um, I, I think for example, gospel of John, where Jesus ends up talking to a crowd of, of individuals, it says who had believed in him. And then by the end of the conversation, they're ready to stone him. Yeah. You know, and, but then on the other hand, uh, sorry about that. They, uh, they have, um, uh, uh, you know, belief in John is what saves a person. And so Jesus, yeah, I believe yeah, belief in, in Jesus. Sorry, I was turning <laughs> off the notifications nah, John, yeah. as I was saying things. So You're good, brother. All right.
0: Cool. So all of these things together in what we covered last week and um, has kind of led us to this, this question now, right? So it's like, okay, so what about those folks that kind of fall away from their faith? You know, I remember I was reading an account of um, the guy that, you know, really was instrumental in Billy Graham's life uh, of leading him to the Lord. Um, on his deathbed, I think he was like 80 or something, he ended up renouncing his faith. And, and Billy Graham was talking about kind of, you know, how much that, you know, hit him. Um, I think I was reading an account of that or something else, but it's like crazy, you know, you see, you see folks live their lives, you know, all their life. And they seem to have phenomenal, you know, testimonies for the sake of the Lord. And then for one reason or another, end up walking away from their faith. I mean, I've seen that even in our own church, you know, a couple of folks that were really uh, connected for a while and then. Um, you know, it's, it's never overnight. It's not like tomorrow they decide, Hey, you know what? I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Most of what I've seen, you know, being a pastor here has been like a slow fade, you know, and I know we talk about that a lot in sermons, but, uh, just how it's, it's minute adjustments every single day of, I don't feel like studying my Bible today, or I'm not going to pray today or, or whatever else, or I'm not going to connect with people in the church or so on and so forth. But ultimately, you know, it's a drift. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just like from a pastoral perspective, I, I notice another very common thing is uh, growing disillusionment with the church. <clears throat> um, because the fact of the matter is, is that any place that you're at for a while is eventually going to, you're, you're, you're going to accumulate enough things, uh, that enough observations of things that you did not like
0: yeah. that,
1: um, you know, that can sour a person and make them cynical and that's a that that's a dangerous thing to to guard against. And grass kinda, is always
0: greener mentality.
1: Grass is always greener mentality, and I think there's a reason why Jesus describes discipleship as childhood, as coming to him like a child, because there is a certain there's a, it, there's a a certain benefit to purpose. I I think of it as like. Um, as being purposely optimistic and naive about things, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you're you're wise about it, uh, but the person that's able to stare failure and disappointment in the face and still be praising the Lord and still be happy and still just being happy to be at Jesus's side and part of His body, um, you know, the person who's able to main, to, to to trade that cynicism for happiness and joy is is a person who's on much firmer ground than a person who's constantly allowing stuff to make them jaded
0: right yeah there is no perfect church either you know what i mean i guess you could argue outside of the capital c church right jesus is church as he as god's you know um influences it but like as far as you know from church to church there is no perfect one you know what i mean you're never you're never going to go to a church where everything's done right because we're 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 broken people, you know what I mean. There's, there's no perfect person outside of Christ, and so what would you expect in the church? And you know, it's one of the things that's been kind of encouraging me actually, Doug, is that in the midst of all this um, with the coronavirus and everything, it's like we don't really get to do what we you know usually do every single week, and so a lot of what we're doing is just um, you know music not quite to the quality that we we normally strive for. You know, videos like this uh, in place of being able to meet with people or or gather together as communities. And most of the response has been largely positive, just because we get to be the church together. You know what I mean? And that to me is just a little bit of the sweet smell of of what it gets to be of what that is of being with God's people, which I think is really very cool. But um, I digress. Anyway, so let's get back to the point here, Doug, talking a little bit about the idea of people falling away from their faith. You know what I mean? What are... You know what are some of the things that I guess kind of cause this, and and what are some of the underlying uh, things that perhaps we should understand about the nature of somebody renouncing their faith or or falling away from their faith? All right. So, uh,
1: the the thing that I think to to understand first and foremost is that falling away from faith is a is a real possibility. This is a live option that. Every single person is acceptable to
0: um, Christian, or well, obviously Christian. Well, for yeah, anybody yeah, that claims well, themselves yeah, Christian, yeah, and
1: anybody who confesses Christ as their as their Lord and Savior. I was reminded of this of this this week when we're uh, one of the passages we brought in for the community discussion guides is that place in Philippians three, where Paul talks talks about you know not that I have already obtained it or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own Uh, you know this this idea that it's not really uh, about what you have done in the past, but what you are doing now and what you will continue to do in the future. And there's no one, even the Apostle Paul, whose whose journey of faith is not straining sometimes as if you're in this intense physical competition. Um, you know, like that. this is a challenge. It- it's a challenge sometimes to walk with Jesus. I sometimes say that walking with Christ is both the easiest and the hardest thing in the world. Um, you know, it's hard in that it's, it's impossible to do without the spirit of God. And yeah. it's hard in that it is hard work. But it's also easy because it's a place of rest where ultimately I'm not accepted or rejected based on how I've performed. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a it's it's like two competing truths that are in tension. This is difficult and this is easy. Hmm. Um, the road is hard and narrow, hmm. but it's a light yoke.
0: Yeah. You we know? were talking about this in the in the leader's video, the leader's guide as well in the podcast, uh, Romans seven, you know, and you get a lot of what Paul's just kind of saying there, like, you know, the very thing that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing, and and so on and so forth, you know, and you have this whole just kind of discourse of him. Um, Just talking about the reality of living as a redeemed um, Christian, as a redeemed follower of Christ, but yet still um, not without sin. You know what I mean? And and the struggle there of of walking uh, of walking in that. And it's almost. I remember the first time I read that. um, Right when I became a Christian, uh, I read it for the first time, and it was almost like an encouragement to me in many ways. It was a relief, I guess, to see that. Um, you know, maybe I wasn't sure what I was expecting first when I became a Christian that all of my, you know, worst parts of myself would just disappear automatically. But to see Paul kind of walk through that helped me understand what, what this life in Christ now is. And like you said, it's, it is unbelievably easy in so many ways because there's freedom in Christ, but yet it can be difficult knowing that, um, we still live in a broken world and we still have sin nature um until the day we're reunited with Christ and so it, in that you know what I mean we will continue to struggle and like you said Doug and and how you're you know building this argument here you know saving faith is one that perseveres you know what I mean we're not talking about works again you know we talked about that in the last video but we are talking about faith a faith is one that continues to persevere
1: and and because of that we do as i said dwell in uh the midst of the reality that that falling away is a real thing and so i do want to look mm-hmm. a little bit at what, um, and how, how we think through that, how we think through falling away.
0: Sure. Um,
1: now, the first thing, and uh, the first thing that I thought to, to mention on this are two passages in the book of Hebrews that, um, that are sometimes presented as evidence that a Christian can lead their salva- lose their salvation. And I just want to mention them briefly and just give a, um, a, a quick summary. Of why I do not think that 's the case, so now one of the things when you're, when you 're addressing uh, counterpoints right when when you 're addressing objections, one of the things that you can do is you, that, that can happen is you can you can lose sight of the positive reasons for believing in a thing mm-hmm. so in other words i 'm about to address the uh, what at least in my experience from from what i 've read and what i 've heard. These are the two big passages that someone would go to to say that somebody could lose their salvation. And okay. we're, we're going to focus on that. And, but, but less than focusing on that, we think uh, we give the impression that, that this is just a defensive stance. I would just call everybody back to what we talked about last week, what mm-hmm. I touched on the, on the recap, that all of this is is in the scales against all of the positive reasons for believing in eternal security, for believing that sal- true salvation cannot be lost. Mm. So
0: there's you're just- saying, Doug, that essentially we've we've followed through the biblical teaching that a Christian cannot lose their salvation, but right. here we're we're kind of stepping in to address where the counter arguments might An- come from.
1: Answering the big text for objections, yeah, sure. Awesome. So they're both they're both in the Book of Hebrews, and um, there's, there are other passages, but this is these are really the big two. The first one is in Hebrews chapter six. <clears throat> So, um, so just real quick. So, uh, he, uh, I'm going to read it for you. So the writer of Hebrews writes that it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have,
0: see, I have kids around me. me yes, I have. I have tenants. No, that, that was me, Doug.
1: Oh no. Well, I've got a kid here.
0: <laughs> the the joys of being in quarantine. Oh, uh. I'm keeping all this in the video. I'm I'm not editing any of it.
1: That's fine. I'm reading something super serious in scripture here. And my (laughs) daughter over there listening to like some kind of children's YouTube video or something. All right,
0: (laughs) go ahead, Doug. You were in, uh, you were in verse six, right?
1: So this is verses four through six for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again, the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt.
0: Hmm.
1: Now this is yeah, so, this is a difficult passage.
0: Right. At face value, right? Just at face value. We pull this verse out, we put it in front of us and say, okay, it's impossible for those who have tasted this heavenly gift to be restored again to repentance since they are again crucifying the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to content. So it almost seems like at face value it's saying, yeah, if they've been a Christian and walked away, they can't become a Christian again.
1: Right, right, yeah. And and so, <laughs> so in fact, I think that's kind of what it is saying. Um, mm-hmm. So let me just... <laughs> Let me so just need- back back off that for a second, and we'll and 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 give my full take on it, okay? Sure. So, uh, first off, um, again, you have to balance these things against the the positive reasons for believing that salvation cannot be lost.
0: Doug, let me clarify something real yeah. quick. Uh, it's bothered me because I just said it. So, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because I said somebody who had been a Christian to walk away and become a Christian again and that's uh-huh. kind of yes. a, that's that's a different perhaps it could be a different argument than somebody who has uh become it, it depends on how we define becoming a christian but yeah. somebody what do you mean
1: by become a christian
0: to yeah. lose their salvation and then gain that salvation back right. yeah, there's a subtle difference in the way that we said that mm-hmm. so just a
1: yeah understand. yeah so okay so <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, I, i'll be i'll so all right so here's go ahead so yeah not a problem all right so the first thing i want to consider is again you've got all these positive reasons for believing that salvation cannot be lost. And then, so if, if you believe, so the question is, is this text so clear and so strong that it would overturn those, okay? That, that it totally changes our minds about about all the other things that we've been talking about. And one of the reasons why I don't, I, I really don't think it does is because if you look at the way it describes this individual's, um, Experience as part of the body of Christ or experience as a quote unquote Christian. These are not terms, these are none of these are terms that unambiguously indicate salvation. So think about it once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Right? None of those are they're all strong statements, right? These are all, this person is, is in, this person is, is, is knee deep um, and beyond knee deep and is in the deep end of the pool, right? Uh, they're experiencing the goodness of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. They see, um, there, there is a, they're, they're, the eyes of their hearts have been opened. Um, they've, they're experiencing um, a bit of you know. Sometimes we talk about how uh, the church is to be uh, a, a picture of heaven. Now, um, mm. a uh, uh, the, the the presence of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. They know this stuff is real, you know. So so uh, it's it's a person who's been who's these are these are expressions that clearly describe somebody who has who has been very involved and has very much embraced what's going on in the body of Christ. But none of these terms are terms where if I just said to you, if if, like, if, if, if someone was like, Hey, is Alex a Christian? And I was like, he's tasted the heavenly gift. You'd be like, yeah, but is he a Christian? (laughs) No, no. He's shared in the Holy spirit.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, he's, he's enlightened, He's tasted the goodness of the word of God. He's tasted the goodness of the powers of the age to come. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. none of this is unambiguous stuff. Instead, what I think is going on here is a person who very much appeared to be regenerate, and then fell away into uh, right to 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 a state where that is severe. To to they have fallen away and no longer no longer make a profession of faith of any kind right and uh and and it's a state of of unbelief and backsliding and apostasy which and here's the thing that i think is surprising from this passage from which there is no return right that's the tricky thing right Right. in fact I I would say like, that's, that's the bomb that the writer of Hebrews drops on us. Not here, not, not the idea that falling away is a real thing or walking away from the faith is a real thing, but the idea that there is such a falling away where you can't be restored afterwards. That's the bombshell. And interestingly, given that that's actually what's being taught here, I'm not sure that really helps, uh, that that uh, i'm not sure that really helps the case if you're trying to say that salvation can be lost right because then you have to say and it can't be regained mm. it's almost like this passage says too much hmm. now practically speaking what i would say is that this point of no return this is a scary thing and again we the whole point of hebrews is that all of this is a live option for people who are confessing Jesus to be their Lord and savior. So we need to take care and and not Mm. play games with our salvation and persevere in the faith. But uh, the other thing is, I don't think as human beings, we can ever, we should ever presume that someone who is in a state of having fallen away has reached this. Mm. Okay. That in other words, like there's no, a confessing believer uh, now rejecting Christ of whom I would say Hebrews six is true of that guy. He's a lost cause. I'm never reaching out to him anymore. Hmm. Right? That, this doesn't give us warrant for that. This just tells us that there, this is a possibility for the human heart that, that once coming so close and then falling away so far, it is possible for a person to become so hard and, that repentance cannot be achieved again. And that's really, there are other questions that that raises of course, but this text doesn't answer them. Uh, but I do think that that is the, 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 the teaching essentially of this. But, I, but all this to say, again, because of the, the, the language that is used here to describe their experience before falling away, I think because it's not unambiguous salvation language, I think that we can, uh, this, this fits very well with the view that says that a person who falls away ultimately, and finally committing apostasy, that they never truly knew Christ in the first place. You could come darn close. You can look very genuine, but, uh, if, but that, but you've basically, you know, uh, um, run ashore against that point we made last week, that saving faith is a faith faith that by definition perseveres. Mm. And if your faith did not persevere, then what that means is that saving faith was never there in the first place. That's mm. what I think is going on in Hebrews 6.
0: It's funny, Doug, because you know I'm, I'm reading through this and you're pointing out the language here and you're saying the unambiguous language. And it's interesting because I've seen folks in the church before that, they've got all the right language, all the right motions, you know, all the right actions and everything looks Christian ease, you know, in, in so many ways, but at the heart, it's just like, they're not, Jesus isn't really Lord for them. You know what I mean? It's for the, it's just something that's convenient or comfortable or makes them feel better and challenges them once a week with a nice sermon and and some nice worship music and then going around and around and around. But you see the, you know the idol inside of the heart still kind of sits there
1: it's, it's, it's true it's, it's and it's more obvious in some people's lives than others. I mean one of the reasons why we have so much trouble with passages like this is because somewhat because of the moment in Christianity that we live in right where we live in the light in in the in the uh aftermath or uh in the era of uh, of evangelistic gospel preaching, right? Coming to hear a preacher who tells me that I'm separated from from God and I'm on my way to hell. And how can I know that that is not me anymore? What do I have to do? Preacher, I've done what you asked me to do. Can you assure me that I'm not going to hell anymore? You know, and and... Uh, uh, and just in you know church culture kind of just wants to be able to say, "Yeah, you do what we say you need to do, and you 're good it's it 's almost like you you 've taken a jesus pill yeah. but that 's not but but it 's not that simple it 's not as simple as as going to the doctor, fix this doctor, going to a preacher or a pastor, fix this pastor. I want to make sure that i 'm good sometimes again, the Bible says that you need." to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sometimes assurance is the last thing we need. Sometimes it's the first thing we need. It all depends on the person. But needless to say, what, I, what I'm saying essentially is that sometimes you can say, yeah, this person has a real issue with really surrendering to Christ or something. But sometimes a person can appear very, very much, um, you know, smack dab in the middle of God's grace. Yeah. And 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 really on board and really understanding. And you can't always tell. We are amateur fruit inspectors, as yeah. I said last week.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you said that too, Doug. I, I mean that's such an important thing for all of us to understand as the church as well. You know what I mean? It's it's good for us to look um first and foremost at our own lives and our own heart constantly and always to come before the Lord. And it's why it's so important to being in community, you know what I mean? Like I've got really good friends that I trust that, you know if they point something out in my life and say hey man i'm concerned you know what i mean i trust um their judgment i trust their love for me and i'm going to go reevaluate my life if you know whether it's right or wrong you know what i mean that there's people that walk alongside of us to look at certain things in our lives it's it's a healthy level of accountability and community in fact that's interesting that you mentioned
1: that because the second passage that i want to mention which is hebrews 10 verses 26 to 27 Notice the logic here, so you just said that community is so important for maintaining a healthy walk with the Lord right mm-hmm. and for perseverance, so here we have remember remember this uh, this, this is the classic uh, make sure you 're going to church passage right the, the thing <laughs> the thing that we want to say to everybody. Uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, what you're talking about, right? yeah, not neglecting to meet together, uh, which we don't say which is, is the limited. habit of some yeah it's not it's not the limited to the church gathering right it is does happen in small community, you and I, alex sitting in a in our uh, at the opposite side of our desks uh in you know in our office, not now of course, but um. Yeah you know, that that that's meeting together too. But yeah, so do fellowship, right? Not mm-hmm. neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw drawing near. near. For, because, why should I do that? Oh, here's why. Because if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and, of, and, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And he goes on to give some more colorfully descriptive ways of uh, uh, some more, you know, color in this, in this warning here. But this is scary stuff, you know? And, yeah. and it, does, it does kind of have a lot of uh, Hebrew 6 type flavor. This idea that there no longer remains a sacrifice uh, for sins, uh, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, but again, what the Hebrews is right. I think we analyze this essentially the same way. Look at look at the prior state of the individual. Hebrews is essentially writing a group of Christians who have done a lot for the gospel. They've suffered a lot of loss, uh, mm-hmm. right? They some of them have su- suffered the seizure of their proper of their property. They're going through the fire. Uh, but he's but he 's saying, "Look, the reality is though that that these trials can make people turn from their faith, and if you do that, even though you have received a knowledge of the truth, as he says it here uh, if if you reject Christ after having come so close you 're in a very dangerous place spiritually I think is what he 's saying mm-hmm. now the thing that is the the, the person who's really wielding this passage to prove that salvation can be lost will actually go down in this to verse uh, 29, where he's talking about, you know, those back in the Old Testament, if you set aside the law of Moses, you die without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. No time to explain that, but that's sure. what it says, right? Yeah. Um, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot, the son of God and has proclaimed the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Hmm. Now that's what somebody would point to and say, aha, they're sanctified, Hmm. right? That's there. That's a, that's a Christian wouldn't only Christians are sanctified. Right. And, uh, and here again uh, is where I bring things in. If this were the only thing (laughs) that only thing to look at um, maybe but again the question is just like it was with Hebrews 6 is this a strong enough statement to overturn what appears to be an ov- an otherwise clear teaching of scripture elsewhere and consider this okay sanctification we usually what 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 is sanctification well the way we usually think of it is that being self, made
0: more like Jesus, right? It's,
1: it's an yeah, it's an aspect. Well, it's an it's being made holy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sanctified thing. It's a holy thing, and um, the way we typically use that word is very much derivative from Paul's theology. Just like we talked, we've talked about justification mm-hmm. being a Pauline metaphor. It's a good one. It means declared to be righteous by God, right? And, and who, and, but Paul's drawing that from the legal world. And then Paul, draw, so Paul says, you know, so your salvation has to do with your justification or vice versa. And, and then when, once you're justified, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is sometimes described as sanctification, okay? So sanctification in Paul is something that happens as a result of salvation, Sometimes it's almost synonymous with, with salvation. You were washed, you were sanctified, you could say um, mm. and then you you know you have ultimate glorification and things. These are divisions again that are Pauline. This is not the language that Hebrews uses. Katie, go sit, honey. This is not the language that Hebrews uses to describe um salvation, okay mm. uh in, in other words, uh, and, and even Paul is sometimes loose with ter- with the sanctified. You remember in First Corinthians seven, where he's talking about um, a, a believing wife who has an unbelieving husband, Yeah. right? And what does he say happens to the husband and the children as a result of the believer being in that household?
0: He there, says they'll be one over, right?
1: It says there's well that that's a, that that's a different passage by her perseverance. That, yeah, yeah, that's um, th- so. This is a passage that says that they're sanctified by her presence. So hmm. I'll go ahead and read it for you. Yeah, thanks. So I'm going to go to First he- uh, Corinthians chapter seven. Um, so, um, okay. So if any anyone- this is First uh, Corinthians seven thirteen if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him for the unbelieving husband is made holy. There's the word Hagiazo Mm. uh, Mm. sanctified is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Mm. Now is this, so for those who say, ah, sanctified there's my evidence that is proof positive that this person in hebrews 10 is saved right my question is on the same my point would be that on the same light uh, on the same logic then the an unbelieving husband is saved because they have a believing wife i don't Mm -hmm. think we would want to say that and i don't think that's what paul's saying and i don't think that's what he means by be so all i'm saying is that simply the presence of the of the word sanctified there that does not that is not proof positive that he's talking to somebody about somebody who's saved
0: okay okay Doug, and, you pointed out something i wanted to highlight uh, yeah. real quick you know you, you said something that, so we're looking forward to doing like a how to study the bible series right we might be doing a little mini series here in in the next week or so Uh, which I I know I'm really excited for. I think that'll be cool. But one of the key aspects of that, you know, anybody, when we go to study the Bible, one of the first questions we ask as far as, uh, you know, observation and and interpretation is genre of the book, authorship of the book. What we're trying to understand is what the author's intent is in what they're writing, right? And you pointed something out with these two passages. It's like a lot of times we'll take language Um, you know, elsewhere in, you know, let's say all the Pauline epistles and then transfer that over into Hebrews. But you just said something that I thought was kind of important is that, you know, Hebrews is kind of saying some of these things in a different way to a different audience. You know what I mean? Because I'm hearing a lot of the Pauline uh, justification, glorification, sanctification. You know, he's making a lot of legal arguments in Romans is what I have repeating in my head. And then here we are in Hebrews now, We're talking to a different audience. And as we look at this, it's it's worth just noting in the back of our mind. You know, we're not entirely sure of the authorship of Hebrews. You know, we we can't specifically confirm the author, um, but it certainly is a different audience. And as we read through this, we should keep that in mind as well.
1: It's a different and, and writers use language in a different way. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. Hebrews does use the word, uh, the verb to be sanctified or to make holy. He uses it five different times, and each of them uh, and each of them kind of have their its own twist uh, their own twist and we don't have time to get into that here um and he does use it in some places to talk about how about salvation um so um first, by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. that seems to be salvation talk there all I'm saying is that. It's it's the word is varied in Paul and and it's not super common Hebrews language for salvation. Hmm. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's not enough. We don't have enough evidence to say that the writer of Hebrews uses it as a technical term for salvation. Hmm. Um, Now, what do I think is going on here then when he says that you were sanctified and you've profaned that blood of the covenant by which you've been sanctified? I think what he's saying is actually very similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 there, that just by being part of of the visible body of Christ, just by being part of a church, you are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing, you're, you're set apart in a special way, in a way that so if that in a way that uh, that unbelievers people who aren't brought near are, are do not have so like think for example of a, of a kid who grows up in a church versus a kid who doesn't right there are some real benefits to that even if that kid doesn't come doesn't come to faith until much later in life mm-hmm. uh, or even if they even if they don't you can say that they've experienced. Um, the work of the Holy Spirit. They've they're set apart in a way that the rest of um, uh, that the world outside of the visible church is not, and uh, that's kind of the significance there. And I think that's why both Paul and I think here the writer of Hebrews can use can use sanctification language in that way.
0: I guess the question then, Doug, you know, help me follow along because. I, I get I, I get the the difficulty now, especially with these passages, you know what I mean? Let's say somebody that's grown, you know, I'm, I'm born into a Christian family, you know what I mean? A, a Christian family that's got a long legacy of loving Jesus and, and serving others and, and displaying the love of Christ. And I grow up around that I go to church, I participate, um, you know, I pray at dinner and everything else. And then by the time I I don't know, I, I get out of high school or hit college, whatever else, I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not actually a Christian. I just did that because I was part of the family and leave. Based upon, you know, Hebrews here, for it is impossible then in the case of those that have been enlightened and so on and so forth, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, you know, is that saying that, you know, somebody in that situation cannot be restored?
1: I, I mean, I don't think so because first off, I mean, first off, I wanted to say what I said before that I don't think we are ever in the position to judge that any individual has crossed that point. But the thing that I would say is that at least in the way that you described this hypothetical autobiographical situation, right, sure. it is, is you described it as really never embracing it at all for yourself, right? Whereas here, this person has received a knowledge of the truth, right? Like they're, they're, uh, it seem, there seems to be an assent to what is going on and a confession, and that is the that is the real issue is the confession of Jesus that's what i often say like when a person prays to receive christ that's what i will say happened i typically don't say this person got saved i'll say this person confessed jesus as their lord and savior because that's what we know we know that they confessed and if they continue in that confession then indeed they are in fact saved but any one of us the, the way i i i will often refer to people in kind of just this plain vanilla way of doing it. We'll just say they confess the Lord Jesus as their savior or something like that. Um, I think that that's an accurate way to talk about it. Um, no, for here. somebody who, Who's not even there. Like it really doesn't sound like this passage even has them in mind. This, this, these passages seem to me to be speaking to people who are at the very least self-deceived. Hmm.
0: No, what's interesting to me too, Doug, is like, I wonder if we even want to get in the conversation, but the, the qualification of that, you know, that acceptance, that confession, you know what I mean? Because I've seen a lot of different things where it's, I think Ryan made the joke one time where, you know, there's like a big amusement park with a bunch of rides and the kids can come play on the rides. All you have to do is raise your hand up and say, I believe in Jesus. You know what I mean? And it's like, is that a true confession of faith? You know, is that like, do you actually comprehend what it is that you're confessing to, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that um, there are varying degrees to, to which all churches um, I think kind of fail in this respect or or many churches fail in this respect by uh, making it either too easy or too hard. And, and, Mm and, 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 um, making belief in Jesus kind of this trivial thing, this n- not really a big deal, not not really um, explaining the implications of, of of what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. And what I what I often will say will say is that churches that are real um, kind of lordship light, hmm. where it's just very much you know this is a Jesus amusement park, and if you want to if you want to yeah. fit in here.
0: Raise your hand if you want to hang out with us. You know? The problem
1: with those is, is, is not usually that genuine people that people are not genuinely getting saved at churches like that. It's that you have a lot, you end up having a lot of people who think they're saved, but aren't. Yeah. You have a lot of people who make false confessions in those atmospheres. And uh, we don't, we do, I'm not saying it's fine. Like that's not an acceptable situation scenario, but uh, um Yeah, I mean, like, true believers, I don't want to, I don't want to speak in absolutes. But it's kind of my experience that true believers get saved in all kinds of wacky circumstances.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's not, you said something too. It's like, you can be, you can be heavy handed on one side, too light on the other side. And it's not even as if we have control of these things. You know what I mean? God mm -hmm. can use anything. Right. He can truly use anything. I mean, in my own, in my own life, in my own testimony, God used a, a, I, I won't say this, preacher's name but used a really bad preacher with some really bad theology who said jesus's name and that was the first time i'd actually even listened even in a minuscule moment to the idea of christ and that kind of set me on a path to becoming a christian where later on i I did understand the gospel yeah but god can use any of those things and you know just to kind of summarize where we are a little bit here before we move on to this next point a lot of
1: good stuff comes out of the astrodome
0: yeah (laughs) yeah um so you know, all these things kind of considered, you, you said a little bit earlier, Doug, we are very poor judges of of fruit. Uh, and yeah. a lot of times, you know, the Bible encourages, encourages us to look at the fruit that's being produced from people, especially mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, to, to see like, you know, am I sincerely, is Jesus the Lord of my life? And you know what I mean? And if you have friends that seem like they're headed down a bad path, there's there's probably nothing worse you can do than to allow them to go do it without loving them enough to say, hey, I care about you. I love you. You know, this is what I see, you know, but to that end, be careful whether or not you're judging someone's salvation. That's, that's the Lord's to, to Uh, determine, you know, right. It's,
1: it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a balance for sure. And I I also say like, we also have to, also have to be a little bit careful uh, because the tendency is to be, to, 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 the tendency sometimes can be to be overcritical of churches, you know, there's a lot of churches who who are genuinely trying to reach people with Christ, and, um, and they're 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 not uh, they they and they don't match up to exactly what we think they should be doing, and so we lampoon them and and end up causing causing division in the body of Christ. Um, there's, Ecclesi- there's
0: ecclesiologically, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and about, especially, especially people tend to get critical of big churches too. Yeah. And um, you know, big churches are just like little churches, only there's more stuff to go wrong. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, I've been, I've think of it like that.
0: I'll say so, this, man, preach the gospel. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, preach yeah. the truth, preach the gospel. That's you need nothing more than that to help communicate what it is that Jesus did for us and the offer of life that we have in his name. However else that happens inside of the church, man, let the church decide. You know what I mean? There's some things that we do here at Emergence, I'm sure that other churches are looking at us like, that's ridiculous, you know? Right. But hey, like this is how we worship together. You know what I mean? This is going to look different on the East Coast than it does on the West Coast or different here in the United States than it would in another country. And,
1: the, the part of the concept of the body of Christ is that it has to be diverse in many yeah. different ways, including who, who and how it reaches people.
0: Yeah. so just
1: to just i think a good place to kind of bring this ship to a landing is uh so if i have somebody in my life and i think we all do who is not walking with christ as we know maybe they one day did or whether we hope that they should be the question is what do we say of them Mm. so let's say i have i have a family member who who used to be you know used to Seem to love the Lord and and confess Jesus as Savior, but now hasn't been to church in a year, and uh, has all kinds of sin issues that you know I tried to be kind about, but are are blatant and doesn't seem to be walking with Christ. Um, what do I make of such a person? And I think I hope that one of the takeaways from the last two weeks is that one of two things is true of this individual. Either this is a wandering sheep, and the Lord will eventually bring them back to the fold, or they are proving their salvation was never real in the first place. And it's not ne- that's not necessarily something that we can know. Um, but now we now, uh, and I think the approach is 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 the same either way, right? The approach is to minister to them and love with and love them and plead with them in word and in deed to, to come back to Christ. Um, And, uh, but, but we don't necessarily know what is the case truthfully for people who are in a state of having walked away.
0: I always think of the, the parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son, you know what I mean? It's, we read that parable so many times and, you know, myself, I always read it. I'm thinking from the perspective of the older brother, you know what I mean? And I hate how often I can relate to that. And really the parable is just like, we should have the heart of the father. You know what I mean? That the, the lost son comes back and here he is and he's there and the father's ready to love him. And, you know, we, we should be careful in conversations like this, that we don't just start jumping into the place of like, well, they were a Christian and now, you know, they walked away from the church, this, this that, or the other thing. So there's no hope for them. No more. No, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to reach out to them. I'm not going to care for them. I'm not going to, no, you know what I mean? That's not what we're called to do as a church. We should love them regardless. We don't know. How God's working in that person's life. You know what I mean? We should always be ready and willing to accept them uh forward and more than that to go and, and seek them out to love them well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and and glad when when step and glad and celebratory when steps are taken to come back.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, Any fact, final points here, Doug, before uh we close up for this week?
1: Um I think uh I I, I think that uh we've probably given enough stuff to chew on for now. So mm. next next week, our plan is to start talking a little bit about, um, about how to read the get Bible. the most, out, read the Bible, how to get the most out of your Bible reading and, and to study scripture. So
0: yeah, I gotta figure We're gonna out gonna what have the, say. the first four weeks are going to be on transliterating in from ancient Hebrew into ancient Aramaic.
1: That's yeah, that's, that's fine. That's a close, close analog. So it's,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Three weeks. We're, we'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep it applicable and Doug will keep us pushing forward into uh, in some advanced things. I think that'll help us uh, further our Bible study, which would be yeah. good.
1: Lord willing. So thank you.
0: Yeah. All right, Doug. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for all the work that you've put into this. Thank you guys for tuning in every single week uh, and for writing into us too. It's, it's really helpful to uh, to know um what's helpful to you guys that it's been a it's been a blessing and encouragement to you and and keep feel free to reach out to Doug or myself um with any theological questions or any questions that you have or even suggestions for future videos. It's really helpful. Uh looking forward to next week we'll dive into a little mini series here on how to get the most out of reading our Bible. Awesome. Thanks Doug. Thank you. Bye bye. Oh dude I didn't hit the record button. Has it not it didn't record? No, I'm totally kidding. Have a good one, man. (laughs) See you later.